Uh, today's Veterans Day, and uh, if you served as, a, if you're a veteran, if you've served in the armed forces in one way, shape, or form, would you please stand and let us show uh, our appreciation to you this morning? Please stand. Before we look into the scriptures, let's say a word of prayer. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for these men and women who have sacrificed so that we are able to hold a worship service here this morning without having to do so in fear. Lord, this morning as we come before you, as we prepare to hear your word, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you challenge us? Would you convict us where we need convicted? Or would you speak to us personally? There are people here this morning that, you know, perhaps they've, they've come, not sure why they're here today. Maybe they've just come with a friend. Maybe they don't believe any of the stuff that we would be teaching and preaching today. Lord, that's just, I pray that they would know that you love them, that you care for them. Pray that you would speak to them today. And then for those that have come here, that maybe they're, they come on a regular basis, Lord, would you just speak to us as well? And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, if you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd like for you to turn with me in it to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, we've been in a series in which we are covering uh, the first half of the Gospel of Mark. And this morning, we're going to look at one of the oddest and most confusing passages in all of Scripture. Every time I have ever come across this passage, just in reading it, it has left me dazed and confused. Mark chapter 8. This week and next week, by the way, are the last week of this, uh, the last two weeks of this series, uh, by the way. And then sometime next year, we'll pick up uh, the last half of the Gospel of Mark. I want to start reading at verse 22. And uh, I want to do something a little different today. Because of the importance of what's contained in these uh, verses that we're going to read, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to please stand together with me as I read uh, this passage of Scripture. Please stand. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Wow, how many of you have friends who would be willing to do that, to beg Jesus to heal you if you were sick? That's the purpose of our city life groups, by the way, is to help you build those kinds of relationships with people. He, Jesus, took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? The man looked up and he said, I, I see people, they, they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. 
Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And after three days, rise again. This is the word of God. You may be seated. How many of you would agree with me, and feel free to raise your hand on this, how many of you would agree with me that the first half of this passage, the part where the blind man looks and says, you know, like I can't kind of see that, like there's people that look like trees walking around, how many of you would agree with me that that seems really, really odd? Raise, raise your hand. Okay. The rest of you are lying. You think it's odd too, you just don't want to say it. It is odd in a lot of ways, but for those of you who believe that the Gospels were just made up stories by Jesus' disciples to promote their movement, Ask yourself, if you were trying to promote a movement that you knew was false, why would you include a story like this one? Where on the surface, at least, it seems like the leader of your movement is having trouble pulling off what he claims to be able to pull off. That really wouldn't make much sense. Let me ask you, would you have included this passage? Next week, as we close this series up, we're going to look at the last half of the passage in more detail. But I just want to point out this morning that Mark has very intentionally, very carefully constructed his gospel so that everything that has happened so far in this gospel, every healing, every exorcism, every miracle, every conversation that Jesus has had, has all led to this one climactic moment, exactly, exactly, halfway through the book of Mark, in which Peter says, you are the Christ, which is the Greek word for Messiah. This is halfway through the book. This is the climactic moment of the first half of this book. You see, Mark wanted everyone who read this book to be asking one question in the first half of his account of Jesus' life and ministry. One question. He wanted you to be asking, who is this Jesus? And now, just as he ends the first half of the book, we get a very straightforward, very direct answer to the question. He is the Christ, the promised Messiah of Israel. Now, today, uh, I, I want to focus in just on the, on the first half of this passage, this very strange miracle that Jesus performs on this blind man, which on the surface, as I said, it doesn't seem to work the first time around, does it? It seems like, he's, seems like he tries to do the miracle, and then it doesn't really work, kind of halfway works, and then he has to do it again to make it really work. Next week, we'll look at the last half of the passage in more detail. But I just want to look at this first half this morning. What's happening in this passage, and why does Mark include what looks to be like kind of a failure in Jesus' power and Jesus' ministry here, in his ability to heal? Why would Mark include that? Okay. And why does he include it here just before the climactic moment of the first half of the book of Mark? Well, okay, I want you to do this with me. You, I know you guys hear me say this a lot, but I want you to think with me, right? Christianity is not a thing where you don't think. You must think, okay? So I want you to think with me for just a moment about the context. Context always determines meaning. What precedes this healing? Any of you remember? Last week, we saw it. Jesus performed a miracle in which, he led, uh, in which he fed thousands of people with just a few loaves of bread. And then immediately after that, the Pharisees came to Jesus asking for a sign that he was from God. In other words, like the miracle that I just performed, would that be a good enough sign for you guys? He could have asked. He didn't ask that, but he could have. And then immediately following that, even Jesus' disciples uh, don't get it. And then you would say, well, get, get what? What didn't they get? Well, they didn't get the magnitude 
of who Jesus is, that he's not just a rabbi, that he's not just a political leader, that he's not just a teacher. And he ends that section from last week, he ends that section by asking his disciples, uh, do you still not understand? Like, Do you still not get it? And then right on the heels of that, Mark includes this account of Jesus' interaction. Now think about it now. With a blind man. Okay, do you get it? Do you see what's happening here? Okay, let me just, I'm going to just give you, uh, do this a little differently. I'm going to give you the key that unlocks this passage. Here's the key. Jesus is using physical blindness to illustrate spiritual blindness. Okay? He's, he's using uh, this man's physical blindness as like a physical illustration of the disciples and the Pharisees' uh, spiritual blindness. Okay? And so when Jesus, so when you see Jesus do all of these things to this man to heal him, like it says he takes, his, takes the man away from the village and then he, he spits on his eyes. That seems a little gross, doesn't it? I mean, even though it's Jesus, it still feels gross. And then, and then you know, he heals him in, in two different stages. Uh, understand something. Jesus doesn't need to do any of that. You, you get that, right? Like, if you've been with us through this series, you know that Jesus doesn't need to do any of that. We've seen him in this gospel heal people without saying a word. He can heal at a distance. He can heal people with a thought. So when you see him healing this man with all the details that Mark includes here, understand that he's doing this not because he has to do it this way. He's doing it this way because his disciples and us, we need him to do it this way. In other words, he's doing this miracle this way to teach them and to teach us about spiritual blindness. And I think there's four things that he wants to speak to us about as it relates to spiritual blindness through this physically blind man and the healing of this physically blind man. Here's the first one. It's pretty easy and it's pretty quick. It goes like this. We are all spiritually blind. Uh, We are all spiritually blind. Now, again, I want you to think about the context of this passage. After the miracle with the bread, we just talked about it, the Pharisees were spiritually blind to Jesus. And not just the Pharisees, the disciples were spiritually blind to Jesus. Now, let me ask you, do you realize who that is? Do you realize who that is? that's, That's everybody. The friends of Jesus and the enemies of Jesus. The blue-collar fishermen and the white-collar religious leaders. The insiders, the outsiders. The moral and the immoral. Nobody gets it. We're all spiritually blind. That's, That's the point. We're all spiritually blind to the magnitude of who Jesus is. And without divine intervention, without Jesus um, healing our blindness, no one would understand the magnitude of who Jesus is. Not Americans, not Arabs, not whites, not blacks, not poor, not rich, not well-educated, not conservative, not liberal, not northern, not southern people, not eastern, not western, not midwestern people. We're all spiritually blind. All of us. And not only that, here's the second lesson that Jesus is teaching us about spiritual blindness. We're not just spiritually blind, we are all deeply spiritually blind. So like it's bad, and then it gets worse, right? We're all spiritually blind, but not just, not just spiritually blind, we are deeply 
spiritually uh, blind. Okay? Jesus, as we said, could have healed this man like with just one touch. In fact, he didn't even need to touch him. He could have just healed him without, without any touch. But he could have just healed this man with just one touch, but he doesn't. And the question that Jesus asks this man in verse 23, he says to him, he says, do you see anything? That was a very intentional question on Jesus' part. That was for your benefit. That was for my benefit. That was for the disciples' benefit, okay? What he wanted to convey was that our spiritual blindness is so deep that removing it is, is, is it's a process. Like our spiritual blindness is so deep that it doesn't all go away at once. It takes time. There are multiple supernatural touches that are necessary to remove the depth of our spiritual blindness. And and I'll tell you what, you can see this very clearly, like in the last half of the passage with Peter. On the one hand, Peter gets this, he he gets this understanding. And he says, he says, I see now, Jesus, you are the Messiah. Okay? The blinders have come off of Peter just enough that he understands that. But in the next half of the book, like if you were to read ahead before we start that part of the series next year, you would see that Peter really doesn't understand the implications of this very well. Yes, he gets that Jesus is the Messiah, but he doesn't understand the implications of that, and he won't until after the resurrection. Because his expectations of a Messiah are very different than Jesus. Okay? This is why verse 31 says, He then began, Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days uh, rise again. I don't know if you noticed this, but the first half of this book is about revealing Jesus' Messiahship to the disciples. The last half of the book is about Jesus revealing that he will suffer and die as the Messiah. That's how Mark has put this book together. Two halves. One half, show you that Jesus is the Messiah. Second half, show you that the Messiah is going to do something very different than most people would ever expect of a Messiah. He is going to die for his people. You see, even though when our spiritual sight is cleared up enough to see who Jesus is and to begin a relationship with him, uh, our sight still isn't cleared up enough to actually understand the implications of that uh, for our lives and the kind of life that we, we could and should and hopefully will live uh, one day. Our spiritual blindness is so deep and it clings to us so much that it takes multiple supernatural touches to remove it. Now, like, I know this has been true in my life. Uh, I first believed in Jesus Christ as the Messiah 30 years ago. One night, apartment down in Dallas, Texas, after a series of events that had opened my eyes to the reality of Jesus and the reality of my need for Jesus, I knelt down next to my bed, and uh, I professed, Belief in Jesus uh, for the first time. And like the blind man in the story, I could see for the first time, uh, just as clear as it could be, that, that I needed Jesus. But even though that was clear to me, I, I certainly didn't understand the implications of my belief in Christ for my life. I, like, I didn't understand how much of my life 
needed to change. I didn't understand the depth of my depravity. Like, I didn't understand how deeply influenced I was by the ideas of our culture that run completely opposite to truth. And what's so funny is that, like, I, I look back now. So I look back 30 years. And I think to myself, like, how could you have been so blind to all the stuff in your life that needed to change. How, like 30 years ago, I thought, you know, okay, I got some problems. I need to trust Jesus. I got some issues in my life. But, I, you know, this will be pretty quick cleaning this up. And then we'll, we'll be on to bigger things. And I look back and I'm like, what an idiot. How could you have been uh, so blind? And here's the other thing. Uh, Ten years from now, I will look back at my life today. And I'll say, Jeff, how could you have been so blind? Why didn't you see what was in your life? Why didn't you see the implications of what Jesus has done for you? Why didn't you get that? Why didn't it change you more? Okay. See, it, it, it takes multiple supernatural touches from Christ to heal the depth of our spiritual blindness. It's a process of revealing and illumination uh, that has to happen. There's not a person in this room here who is a growing Christian who hasn't experienced the same thing, who can't look back at his or her life 10 years ago and say, why didn't I get that? How could I have been so blind? How could I have missed that? I thought I knew that. I, I'd read it. I'd heard it a thousand times. But I didn't really understand it until now. And now that I do, it's, man, it's completely revolutionized. It's changed my life. There's not a person in here who's growing that hasn't experienced that. And by the way, for those of you who are in City Life groups, uh, you get a chance to share some of that in your group this week uh, because that's one of the questions that uh, that, that you will be covering and it deals with that very issue of how have you changed? Uh, How have you seen changes over the last X number of years of your life? How have the blinders been removed from your life in significant ways? But what I want you to understand this morning is that if your life isn't continually being changed by your belief in Jesus, then I want to suggest to you that it's very possible that you haven't really met Jesus. Um, Because that's the point of a relationship with Jesus. It's not just about going to heaven when you die. It's about real transformation here on earth. It's about real change here on earth. And so what he wants us to understand is that we're all deeply spiritually blind. And it takes a process to heal us. It doesn't happen just all at once. You get, it's sort of like you get, uh, you get a glimpse. And you, you come to an understanding of that. And then it's like something else has to happen later. And you just keep getting these supernatural touches. Because we are also deeply spiritually blind. Okay, let's move on. Here's the third thing that Jesus is teaching us about spiritual blindness through the physical blindness of this man. The question I think some of you might be asking right now is, well, okay, you're telling me that we're all spiritually blind, but what is it that I'm spiritually blind to? What is it that I can't see that I should be able to see? Here's the answer. We are blind to our self-sufficiency. We are all deeply blind to our self-sufficiency. Now, I want you to look back at the passage. In verse 27, Jesus is walking along with his disciples, and he asks them, okay? He says, on the way, he asks them, who do people say I am? 
They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. Verse 29, but, uh, can I just give you an aside just for a moment? Uh, pay attention to the buts in Scripture. Uh, the buts are often uh, what changes everything. Like when you're reading Scripture, make sure you pay attention to the buts. Because there are some big buts in Scripture. One time I even, uh, on Easter Sunday morning, I wanted to make this point. And so I, I, t- I taught a sermon that was entitled, uh, One Big But Can Change the World. And we had it out in front of the church. And like we had, you can't believe the attendance that we had that Sunday, people. Okay, so, so just pay attention to the buts of Scripture. Uh, I can't lie. I like big buts. And so I just want you to know that. All right? Okay, so here we go. Um, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Now, again, for those of you who think that all religions are, are, are all the same, and I know that some of you think that, and uh, you think, well, they all equally point to God. You need to take note of something here. Take note of the difference between Jesus and every other religious leader in the world. None of them ever talked like this. Like Confucius, Muhammad, Buddha, Moses, none of them talked like this. Why? Because they were all just pointing people to the pathway uh, to God. But Jesus is very different. He asks them, he says, who does, essentially what he's asking is, who does social media say I am? Like, who, who, who does social media, who do the experts, uh, who do they say I am? And the disciples answer. They say, well, they think you're all, pre- they, they, they think you're pretty awesome. Like, they rate you up there uh, like an all-star spiritual guru. You're up there with Elijah and John the Baptist and, and uh, Confucius and Buddha and other great prophets. But Jesus wants them to understand that he's more than that. And so he asks, okay, that's what social media and the experts say. But what about you? Uh, I'm not interested in what they all say. I'm interested in what you say. Who do you say? that I am. Now you get this morning, right? You get this morning that Jesus is asking you that this morning. Uh, Social media may say a lot of things. Experts may say a lot of things. But Jesus is asking you, who do you say that I am? And that's a decision that everyone has to make. And understand, be careful with that decision. Don't just gloss over this. Don't make it quickly. Because there are enormous stakes with this. Enormous stakes. And I know what some of you do. Like you, you look only for a confirmation of, of your opinion that he's just like all of the other prophets. And so you go out on YouTube and you go out on the internet and you read all the people who say, well, yeah, he's no different than anybody else. But you never research what the Bible says. You never study closely what it says to see a different point of view. And Jesus is asking you this morning, who do you say? Not the guy that's on YouTube with the cynical attitude and all of that. Who do you say? that I am. See, Jesus wants, he wants his disciples, he wants you to see the difference between him and all of the other spiritual superstars 
that they've just mentioned. He wants them to understand that he is not like the rest of them. He wants them to understand, I have not come to show you how to save yourself. I haven't come to show you how to purify yourself or how to find nirvana and enlighten yourself. I've come to save you. I haven't come to show you how to live this life you should live and die the good death that you should die. I've come to live the life that you should have lived but never will. I've come to die the death that you ought to die for your sins and flaws in your place as your Savior. I'm the Lord from heaven. I'm not coming just to point you to God. I'm bringing God to you. I am God. And I've come to save you. That's different than any other religious leader in the world. Now, if you really have your thinking caps on this morning, some of you might be thinking to yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, you say that, you know, like you've got to have divine intervention to have your eyes uh, open to spiritual realities. Well, why didn't it take any divine intervention for people, social media, to believe that Jesus was any of these other spiritual leaders? Uh, right? Like Elijah and Moses and, uh, you know, John the Baptist and all of those and all the prophets. I mean, they're spiritual leaders. Why didn't it take any divine intervention for them to say, well, yeah, we think you're just like them. Here's why. Here's why. The claims of Jesus Christ force us to confront one thing that we're most afraid of admitting. And that is our insufficiency. That's why it takes a supernatural intervention to get you to see who Jesus really is. Not who social media says he is, but who he really is. We are most afraid of admitting our insufficiency. We're addicted to self-sufficiency. And we're blind to our addiction to it. If you have an addict in your life, or if you have had at some point in the past an addict in your life, and you say to that person... You say, look, you're addicted to a substance. You're addicted to alcohol. What's the addict uh, usually say? What, what, what do they all say? Uh, yeah, exactly. The addict will say, uh, no, I'm not. I can handle it. I drink, but, but I'm not controlled by it. I can stop anytime I want. I'm not that bad off. The paradox of alcoholism or any other addiction, as you know, is that it's not until you say, I'm out of control. I can't stop. It's not until then that you become less out of control. Not until you say, I'm powerless over my problems and I'm helpless. Only then do you begin to get uh, some power. Not until you say, I'm blind and I'm in denial, do you actually see your true situation. And you see, the Bible comes kind of like in this, it's like in a macro intervention okay, to the whole human race. And it says to you, it says, you are absolutely controlled by self-centeredness and pride. You are broken. You cannot fix yourself, no matter what you do. And what do we say to that? We say, well, yeah, okay, look, I, I guess I'm, yeah, I'm selfish sometimes to a degree. But it's not like I'm controlled by it or anything. I'm not out of control with my selfishness. I know what's wrong with me. I know my flaws. And if I just had a, a little bit of help, like, you know, a little Oprah or a little Dr. Phil or a good counselor or someone like that, I could get past it. But I don't need, like, an absolute savior. I'm not, I'm not totally spiritually helpless. I'm not doomed, like, to go to hell unless somebody comes and saves me with radical grace. That's offensive. 
they, they would say. That's what we say. That's what we all say. And do you know why, it's, do you know why that's, that's offensive to us? The Bible says it's offensive because you're in denial. Like you're in denial about how much in humanity your heart is capable of. You don't even want to admit it to yourself. You're in denial about how impossible it is for you to fundamentally change anything really important about yourself. You're in denial about the suffering and the difficulties and the problems that life is going to throw at you that you will never be able to handle in your own spiritual strength. You're in denial. And here's why. We're desperately afraid of admitting that we're not competent to run our own life. We are absolutely in denial of our spiritual insufficiency or our spiritual inability, our spiritual inadequacy. We don't want to admit it. We're like alcoholics who say, yes, I drink, it's a bit of a problem, but I can handle it, I can stop. No, you can't. (laughs) No, you can't. When we see the claims of Jesus that say, I'm not just another wise man, I'm not just another spiritual sage, I'm the Lord and Savior, and you have to center your whole life on me. You have absolutely no hope without me. Without me, you can do nothing. And we say, because we're in denial, that is so over the top. Like, none of the other religions make any kind of claim like that. How dare you say that sort of thing? Uh, Do you realize that's why Jesus was crucified? Because of that very thing that he's saying. See, uh, nobody crucified Jesus for saying, you know, you guys be nice to everybody. Nobody Nobody crucifies Mr. Rogers. Nobody does that. They didn't crucify, uh, crucify Jesus because he said, you guys, you know, be good persons. Be good people. Follow, you know, f- you know follow that law that God gave. Or follow, you know, uh, the uh, path to enlightenment of Buddhism. Or uh, follow what the, the Islamic law that Mohammed uh, set out. You know, follow that and you'll be fine. No. None of that would have gotten him crucified. They crucified Jesus because he said, none of that will help you. You are so broken, you can't solve your problem. No matter how many times you go to church, no matter how much money you give, no matter how much you pray or fast, No matter how much you study the Bible, no matter how much you dress in a particular way to keep men from lusting, you know, like the, uh, like, uh, like Islamic women do. No matter how many bad things that you avoid, you can't solve your sin problem, and that infuriates people. That's why they crucified Jesus. Because he said that. You see, this morning Jesus is pushing you. Because you're an addict, you want to deny the truth. It's only through getting a hold of who Jesus is does this spiritual root of all of our spiritual blindness get revealed for what it is. 
And that's the reason why Mark wants us to come to grips with this question. Who do you think he is? Which leads me to a final lesson. We'll close on this. Final thing that Jesus is teaching about your spiritual blindness through this man's physical blindness. He's teaching this. That Jesus heals our blindness by being plunged into spiritual darkness. Jesus heals our blindness by being plunged himself into spiritual darkness. I want you to notice something back in verse 30. This has come up 17 times so far in the eight chapters that we have uh, looked at in the Gospel of Mark. And it's actually come up twice in this passage. And throughout the whole Gospel so far, I've never said anything about it. Verse 30. Jesus warned the disciples. He also warned the blind man that he healed. Not to tell anyone about him. Do you notice that throughout this Gospel? Over and over again, Jesus heals people or he tells people things that show his magnitude. And then he always says to them, don't tell anybody about it. And they always... You know, they always go and tell people anyway. Uh, why, why is he doing that? Why, why does he keep telling people not to do that? Uh, the reason that he keeps telling people this is that Jesus knows that eventually word of what he's capable of, of raising the dead, word of that is going to get to the Roman authorities and to the religious authorities, and they'll have to kill him because he stands against everything they stand for. Like he stands against the idea that you can just live according to the law and you can solve your own problems with God yourself. He stands against all of that. And so he knows that they're going to have to kill him. And yet he's got this power that he can do all of these things. The reason why he keeps saying to people, don't tell anyone, is because he still has work to do before they kill him. And he's just trying to slow the process down. Every time Jesus uses his redemptive power... He's putting nails in his own coffin. Every time he heals somebody, every time he does anything good, he's putting nails in his own coffin, in his own hands and feet, as it were. Now, think about this, okay? If you scroll to the end of the Gospels, you're going to see the opposite, the exact opposite of everything he has been doing uh, through the eight chapters, through the first eight chapters, and everything he's doing here with this blind man. This is the exact opposite. What do I mean by the opposite? Well, when Jesus Christ was on the cross, you'll see this when we get to it in Mark chapter 15, verses 33 to 34. I'm going to put them up here on the screen. Watch what happens. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, there was this eclipse, this absolute physical darkness that came over the land. If you were here a few weeks ago, Sean Little illustrated this for us. He had all the lights turned off, and we were just kind of sitting in darkness. So dark, you couldn't even see your hand in front of you. But here's what you need to understand. You know what that was? You know what that physical darkness that came over the land was? It's just like in this passage. It was, it was a physical illustration of the complete spiritual darkness into which Jesus Christ was plunged when he lost the cosmic light of his Father's love on that cross. Why did Jesus Christ get plunged into darkness? Well, it's the opposite of this passage. Here he's bringing a man out of the darkness into the light. 
And why can he do that? Because Jesus Christ was willing to leave the light and be plunged into absolute darkness on the cross. To see our spiritual blindness ended, he has to be plunged into darkness. His body was broken, his blood was shed, and he lost the cosmic light of his father's love. Now look, there are two things that you might do today as an application of this passage. The first thing is, we're going to take communion in just a moment. And in taking communion, we take time to remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And if you would like to take communion with us as a demonstration of your belief in Christ, like if you don't believe in Christ, you know, just stay where you're seated. Don't feel bad about that. We understand. Everybody, I mean, I had to go through a process of coming to my belief in Christ. You, you do too. That's okay. We're not going to be mad at you. But like if you don't believe in Christ, don't, you know, and what he did on the cross, then don't, don't take communion. But if you, if you believe in that, then we would invite you to take communion uh, with us this morning. However, know this. Okay, get this. Make sure you know this. Communion is not a time for navel-gazing about your sins. Communion is about looking at the cross of Christ and remembering and rejoicing that he paid the price for our sins, that he was plunged into darkness so that you and I could see. Okay, That's number one. If you want to take communion with us, take communion with us. Just don't do a bunch of navel-gazing. Okay, Rejoice. Be excited. Remember. That's what it's about. Okay. Here's the second thing you could do. Before you take communion this morning, before you even get out of your seat to go get the elements around the room, you might do this. Take a moment and just ask Christ to show you more of what he wants you to see that your spiritual blindness is keeping you from seeing. Just, just take a moment in your seat. Just pray that. And ask him to remove your spiritual blindness this morning. 